0: prayers and canticles and colics and all kinds of things that we find, uh, and find in this book. Uh, today we're actually going to be talking about baptism, and the, the title here is Renewing Our Baptismal Vows, which we thought appropriate today because we have a couple of baptisms later on uh, in the 10th, Hey, okay, yeah, we get a yay for that uh, during, the, during the service, and so uh, we're sort of thinking about baptism all morning here together, and so that's going to be um, what our topic will be here today. But why don't I start us off with uh, a word of prayer? Would you pray with me? Holy Father, we are so grateful for, uh, for the new life that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. We're grateful, we are grateful for uh, the rite of the ceremony, the practice of baptism, which, uh, which incorporates us into Christ's mystical body. Would you help us to think well about this, and, and uh, would you even, by your Holy Spirit, deepen our experience of this practice that many of us have participated in? and in some ways participate in every time we do a baptism. Let me pray us in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So I was thinking about prayer book spirituality, and um, I think uh, the, the prayer book gives us a, a nice balance or a nice... Um, Uh, both and approach to the private nature of our spirituality, as well as the corporate nature of our spirituality. I think sometimes we we maybe forget, or I forget, that that those two go hand in hand, that there are private aspects of our spirituality as well as corporate aspects. And in some of the things we've been thinking about together, like the daily office or some of the uh, canticles, in some sense that might have had a bit more of a, a private emphasis, I think typically, probably most of us who engage in the daily office prayers do that privately. That's not the standard way. I mean, in the history of of, uh, of uh, the Church of England and Anglicanism, the, the standard way of engaging with the daily offices was in a corporate sense, in in the parish. Um, we don't do that here. Maybe we will eventually. I guess we do have our Wednesday morning um, Zoom prayer time, which uh, has a bit of that corporate nature to us, uh, to it. But. Um, but uh, and I think sometimes for myself, too, some of my tendencies might be to think about my my uh, spiritual, my personal relationship with God be just that personal and, and private. But this lesson today and this practice, I really think invites us to think about the corporate nature of our spirituality, that when we meet with God, that, that we is not just a me, that we is all of us. And we participate in this corporate encounter with God every single Sunday through the Eucharist and then on occasional Sundays or occasional other days uh, through the sacrament of, of baptism as well. And I guess what I want to think about that is that um, when we come to a baptism, when we come to the service later on, we're not just sort of watching a baptism happen to two other people we are also participating in a renewal, uh, uh, a renewal of the covenant, a renewal of our vows, a renewal of our own practice of of baptism. And so although we are here to to support these two infants, these two babies who are being baptized afresh and and, and first for the first time, um, we ourselves are, I think, invited into an experience wherein we can recall our own baptism and our own experience. Even if we were infants and and don't actually have a cognitive recollection of the time in which we were baptized, we can still appropriate our own baptism through these various practices that we participate with and and, and, and join with, uh, with respect to what's going to happen later on. But I want to back up even further and think about baptism in general, and think about, well, just think about water. When we think about the sacraments, there are these, uh, the, these tangible acts and these tangible elements that are a part of our experience. So the spirituality that we have as Christians is not something that's just immaterial, but actually is engaged in matter and, in fact, in water. And I was thinking, well, water, you know, water's life. And, we, and we, we know that we can't go very long without water. Sometimes we stain our water with things like coffee and tea, and maybe we can't go very long without that either. But in terms of being out in the, you know, out in the wilderness or what have you, water is life. Um, so my family and I are, are fans of Survivor. You guys remember that show? It's still on, apparently. They're in the like, their 40th season. My wife was into it in college, and then, like, I married into liking it. And then we didn't watch for a long time. And then, I don't know, last year, too, I think it was during COVID, we I don't know, discovered that there was a bunch of these episodes on, you know, on Amazon Prime or Netflix or whatever. And so we started watching it with our, with our kids. And uh, in, in Survivor, you know, they're on an island and then you, you have competitions and you get voted off. And when you get voted off, you have this torch. And uh, Jeff Propes, the, the, the producer and the, the host says, you know, in this game, fire represents life. And so you have your torch and if you get voted off, you get your, your, your fire extinguished. There in the game, fire represents life, but I was thinking uh, more humanely actually, more under under the surface, more in reality, water is actually what is constitutive of life because they actually give the contestants water. <laughs> So they don 't give them fire they 'll end up like, you know earning a flint or what have you, but you couldn 't actually run this game without having water for these actual human beings so that 's even like outside of the game they have to have water to drink and then um, uh, to be a part of their 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 existence so more so than fire is life water is life, and water for us is is life as well, and we engage with water in. Also a myriad of ways, probably predominantly we we use it for washing, which of course has these lovely baptismal uh, overtones, whether it's washing our dishes or washing our hands, which we do a lot of or we should be doing a lot of, right, with flu season and whatnot going on now. We wash our faces, we wash our bodies, we wash our clothes. Water is this primary agent that we utilize in cleansing things, just on a base sort of like surface physical layer. And that will get picked up later on in kind of our theology of baptism. But water can also be, um, it can be scary. It can represent death in some ways as well. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you've ever had like a f- experience being close to drowning. I think I wasn't close to drowning earlier this summer. But this summer, my family and I were uh, in Michigan um, uh, and we did a couple of nights. And we were at Lake Michigan and we were you know, on the shore there. And as you who I'm getting used to like Lake Michigan, the lack of lack of salt. Um, the Pacific Ocean is the is the body of water I'm most familiar with. And i feel like I understand that one a little bit better. But um, there was a sandbar off sure, I don't know exactly how long. If things look distant further, you know, it was probably not that far, but you know, whatever it was, 50 yards or something like that. I'm not quite sure. And my oldest son, who's 14, you know, he swam out there and at some point it kind of dips down and is, you know, you can't touch anymore. And then you get up there and then you, you look out there and he's standing in his waist and he's like way you know way out there. I thought, okay, well cool, I can go out there and, and go with him. We'll go we'll catch there. We had a football and everything and have my youngest son with me as well and he's eight. And so we both started swimming out there, and we were, you know, touching. And then eventually we got to the point of where you couldn't touch anymore, and we're kind of swimming along. And he's kind of like, you know, he's a decent swimmer for an 8-year-old, but he's kind of, you know, having a little bit of a hard time. And so I kind of will come over here. I can help you whatever. And then, and then I kind of start having a little bit of a hard time as well. And you're, we're at that point where it's like, are we closer to the sandbar out there? Are we closer to going back there? Can we keep pushing on? I'm kind of holding him. I'm kind of treading water. I'm going, going out there. And then at some point I sort of had the feeling of like, this is not good, this <laughs> this is this could go really bad and we're gonna have like, you know, man and boy drown off the coast of Lake Michigan and you're gonna need another new rector and all that kind of thing. It was gonna be really uh, sort of bad. So I, was, I said, I mean, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do it. I gotta, maybe if it was just me, I, you know, like, let's go back, let's go back. And so I, you know, got him back there and then I went out on, on my own. I just couldn't handle with him. But that feeling of like, the water here of Lake Michigan could cover me, and it could cover me to the point of where I no longer am able to breathe, and then I die. And yet, in some sense, that's kind of what baptism is. It is actually a, uh, a death. We are in some ways, to use really strong language, we are in some ways murdering our old self, the, the body of sin and death that Paul talks about, and we're using an agent on one hand of cleanliness, but on another hand of actual death, in order to show forth and to represent that we are no longer the same individuals we once were, we're we're no longer just uh, as normal as we were, but rather we have died, we have killed, we have murdered, like with Christ in our our baptism, Uh, the sin and the death that has been a naturally part of our lives. Um, this this comes up a little bit here in um, in our prayer book, and we'll look at some of the aspects of the um, the, the prayer book in a moment. But one hundred and sixty gives some uh, page 160 in the prayer book. If you want to flip there, just kind of gives some instructions regarding baptism. And there's a reference to Romans six one to eleven. I wonder if someone might uh, flip open your pew book uh, pew Bible there and just find Romans six verses one through eleven and read it for us. Thanks, Rich. What are some themes you heard there? What are some ideas that Paul is expressing in this section here in Romans 6? What stood out to you? Yes, thanks, Rich, our reader. Hmm. Why does that strike you? Um, it's not ourselves. Hmm. And then um, I'm working with Ephesians.
1: And in the first chapter, it says in Christ Jesus about 24 times. 20 wow. So there's this, we're dying to something, which is ourselves, we're going
0: to something, which is in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's spot on. Yeah, Bruce, go ahead. Just as Jesus died
1: and rose again, so we are dying and rising to the of life, but I don't get the sense. He's talking about some afterlife. He's talking about uh us beginning to
0: realize that there's some limited fashion here and now. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of temporal aspect, I think, is really fascinating, and there's a little kind of playing with that. You know, Christ's death and his resurrection, in some senses, past. I mean, it occurred. Um, let's see, What does he say something along those lines? Christ was crucified, um, but uh, at our baptism, this is also sort of a, a past tense thing. As Paul says in 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism unto death just as Christ was raised, so too we might walk in newness of life. Or that we might walk in newness of life right now has these, like, present implications. And even as the verse, first verse says there, uh, are we presently, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This is kind of the question that leads him into it. And I think the answer there is no. Like, th- this, th- there are present implications and also, therefore, future implications for this past event that we somehow, in Christ, as Rich pointed out, get incorporated into. And I think that incorporation language is really sort of key to thinking about how baptism functions. So we talk about uh, baptism being the entrance rite uh, of the church. Uh, it's, it's the first sacrament that you participate in. Before you can you know, participate in any other sacrament, baptism is that sacrament by which we begin our, our, our sacramental life uh, with, with Christ. And that's represented even physically by the baptismal font in this building, and in many church buildings, being right there at the entrance of the church. Um, and in a few moments, or a few, I don't know, an hour or so, forty-five minutes, we're gonna we're gonna go back there to what is from you know some, the back, but it's the it's the opening, it's the entrance of the church there, and do do the baptisms there, representing that these two new lives have been brought into, into the church. They have entered into the church. But that entrance into the church is an entrance into the body of Christ, as is one of Paul's favorite terms for the church. So we're incorporated, and even that word there, in corpus, in embodied, we are, we are incorporated into the body of Christ by means of our baptism. And therefore, and what is the baptism there? Well, it's a, it's a baptism, as Paul says in verse 3, it's a baptism um, into, his, into Christ Jesus' death it's a baptism, it's an incorporation into all that Christ experienced, all that Christ suffered, especially and in including his death and then his resurrection. That's not where the, the story ends there. And this is kind of the, 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 the logic that Paul is articulating here in, in chapter 6. Uh, if we were buried with Christ, if we've been united with him in a death like his, verse 5, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So if we're in Christ, if we've been incorporated into Christ, then what has happened to Christ is happening and will happen to us. And if Christ died, we die in baptism. And if Christ was raised, we too will be raised uh, when uh, when physical moral death uh, ends up afflicting us. And there's a sense in which um, I mean I'm all about the, the pouring that we do here in the Anglican tradition. That that's you know sprinkling in, and that's fine, but. The full-on immersion kind of baptism does show forth this a little bit more in a, in a visceral sense. Uh, so I was raised Baptist. And um, uh, you know, my, my Baptist church had that like, jacuzzi thing you know, in, in the back, a nice sort of you know, very large uh, yeah, jacuzzi, basically. What else, what else would you call it? And, um, uh, uh, and there was something sort of like uh, viscerally identifying with death and resurrection of being like fully submerged and under you know, which of course that's the point like in Lake Michigan when I could have died, had the pastor like held me down or something ridiculous like that, you know, that's when you are, are dead. But then the coming up and the water flowing off of you is in some sense, I think representative of like the way in which the stone gets rolled away from the tomb and Christ comes up out of the ground, up out of the tomb, alive and resurrected resurrected in a new life. And so we too then in that moment come up and out of the water, resurrected in a, and joined with him in a resurrection like his our old self being crucified, being buried, going into, the, going into the, the grave as represented by the water, and then coming up out of the grave, being raised from the dead. Uh, and then Paul says in verse 9, knowing that we'll never die again. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So also, and here's our present tense, so also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. I noticed that there's a lot of mention of sin throughout this whole passage. But the sense I get is that we have to learn that sin is behind us. Mm. Um, and that's what Paul is also yeah, I think that's great, Jim. And th- I think that really um, leads into how we then um, continue to appropriate the theology of baptism. So a- a- as you pointed out there, and I think this uh, lines up right there with verse 11, um, Paul says, y- uh, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Uh, so like the, the practical instruction there, that's like a cognitive sort of a thing. It's an, it's an epistemological sort of move there. You must consider yourselves dead to sin. So like you said there, what happens in, in baptism, what happens in, when we've been renewed by the Holy Spirit, is that sin is put to death, and the old self has died, and it's, 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 it's done with, and we're living a new life. But I think what Paul is saying here is that we're kind of forgetful. <laughs> We kind of uh, we kind of failed to remember, failed to consider, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly and yearly basis, that we our old self has died and that we are risen to new life, and that's then what we are thinking about here today. Well, how do we then appropriate this this theology, this truth about what baptism is on, on a regular basis? And I guess I want to suggest that there are a number of ways in which we can do this. There are lots of opportunities in which we can remember, we can consider ourselves dead to sin by means of our, by means of our baptism. Um, one of the, the simplest ways we do that is by having a little bit of holy water there in that baptismal font every single Sunday, every single day, if you come during the course of the week, there is almost always water there. Sometimes the rector or the, ver- the verger forgets to put something in there, but typically there's water in there. Well, what is that? That's the waters of baptism. And what do we typically do? Well, you we can touch it, make yourself, make the sign of the cross along yourself. That I think is a, a renewal, a remembrance of your, of your baptism. This is the baptismal water. I'm not baptizing myself afresh, but I'm remembering in a, in a physical, tangible sense that I have been buried with Christ and raised with him in, in new life. Every time we, we touch the water, every time we cross ourselves with the, with the water, it's a remembrance that we are um, we've been baptized and raised with Christ. And even then that sign of the cross, um, in, in a few, uh, again later on in the baptismal service, um, I'll make the sign of the cross over the, uh, over the, the, the candidates, uh, and say one of my favorite lines in liturgy, which I pointed out before, say, you are sealed by the Holy, P- Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. And that sign of the cross there is a marking with the sign of Christ, with the sign of the cross, that this person has been sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and belongs to Christ so anytime we make the sign of the cross on ourselves, we are, I think showing forth that we are um, marked as Christ's own forever. We belong to Christ. and there it's an opportunity for us to refresh and renew those vows, those commitments, that the reality of being dead to Christ. I'm sorry, dead to sin and alive to Christ that we have encountered. I think our mural, in some sense, is representative as, a, as, a, as an opportunity for us to remember our baptism. When you look at there, Brother Rob pointed this out to me one time, you know, those waters that are flowing out there, the, the living water at the, the foot of the Good Shepherd there, those are, uh, those are right beneath our baptismal font. Kind of like to imagine perhaps in some spiritual sense, it's those waters there that are going and filling our baptismal font there. So in fact, every time we walk through those doors, every time we turn around and see that, I think it's an opportunity for us to renew and remember those things that we committed to at our baptism. Um, And then there are other rites as well that have a sort of similar character, a similar sort of like um, uh, inflection point as we see in in baptism. Think about in uh, confirmation, and we we talk about confirmation being this complement or or bookend to our our baptism. Uh, In some ways, it it picks up the the promises that we make uh, for the infants uh, when they are unable to express them themselves, and give them the opportunity to make those same commitments in in the rite of confirmation. But like with baptism, there's a pouring on of water and a sealing by the Holy Spirit. In confirmation, there's a laying on of hands by the bishop, sealing the Holy Spirit on them, renewing the baptismal covenant that they made when they were, uh, or was made for them when they were unable to make it themselves. So too then do we, when we see in a confirmation, can we remember ourselves that we have been incorporated into these mystical acts that are, um, uh, that are an opportunity for us to show forth our identity in Christ and with Christ? And then some smaller ones as well. I was sort of thinking, you know, anytime we are um, engaging with a, a newness, could that be a time in which we remember our baptism? We talked about earlier the ways in which we clean ourselves with water. I mean, what what if every time you wash your hands was a little bit of a reminder of the fact that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever? Every time we wake up in the morning, I mean, sleep is in some sense a little bit of a death, or at least it sort of like mirrors and mimics death. Sleep is a very vulnerable thing. You're laying there unconscious. Kind of anything could happen, right? it's sort of like we are as vulnerable as if we are if we are dead and yet every morning we rise from the dead we raise from the the, the, the doldrums of sleep to a new life to a freshness of life and i mean if you're like me you know you wash your face you take a shower well there's a little mini sort of like reminder of our baptism every single morning and then likewise too do we maybe have these opportunities for remembering our baptism in our, in our daily prayers? So I think it's, uh, in the wisdom of the Church, striking that when the daily office um, uh, uh, prayers, uh, morning and evening prayer, uh, we use the Apostles' Creed as our daily confession of faith, not the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is what we say on Sunday mornings and maybe a major feast and what have you and sort of our ecumenical creed, but that by which we join with other uh, Christians confessing these great uh, truths. But the Apostles' Creed has long been used as the baptismal confession. And so in a few moments here, we're all going to join together and renew our faith in Christ by means of the Apostles' Creed. And this is the creed that has been attached to the ceremony of baptism for, for centuries. Um, I think it's not by accident that our daily prayers include the Apostles' Creed, a a daily opportunity to renew the vows we made at baptism by means of this particular creed. Not that you can't do the Nicene Creed or what have you, but there's a particular symmetry there with our daily remembrances, our daily renewals of our baptism as that ties in with our, our ceremony that we're going to be experiencing here. And then a few points just to make, looking at the, the liturgy itself. So if you wanna like, you know, flip open, as I mentioned there, 160 is where it starts, but I wanted to look at the uh, profession of faith, especially on page 164. And just make a few comments about this. So this is really where uh, the, the vows are being made, when we're really promising something. Uh, making this, this covenant, this covenantal act by which we're saying, okay, we're on board with what the, what the church is teaching. We're on board with Jesus. And, uh, and in fact, the first part says, actually, we're off board. We're not, on, we're not on board with the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God. So we start off with these renunciations here. Do you renounce the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? Do you renounce the empty promises and deadly deceits of this world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? Do you renounce the sinful desires of the flesh that draw you from the love of God? I think those are questions we should be asking ourselves, well, probably daily, in in fact. It might make your morning prayers a bit longer if you add this profession of faith in here every single day. But is there a sense in which when we come to confession, when we come to some moment in in our prayer time, where we can turn from the forces of evil, turn from the forces of wickedness, turn and from the devil and the empty promises of this world, turn from the sinful desires of the flesh that draw us from the love of God. And we come to that in our service here, too. Can you think for yourselves, oh, it's not just the two children here who are doing this, but we, too, are also even though we're not saying it, we too are reminding ourselves that, yeah, if we've been baptized, then we have renounced these forces of wickedness, and we have renounced the world and its empty promises, and we have renounced the sinful desires of the flesh that draw us from the love of God. And then the liturgy turns briefly here, or turns from renunciations to affirmations, turns from um, going against the forces of darkness to going for the forces of good, the forces of light. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and confess him as your Lord and Savior? Again, something I think we need to do daily. And if we say the creed, for instance, daily, we are confessing, we are turning to Christ and confessing him as our Lord and Savior. Do you joyfully receive the Christian faith as revealed in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? Will you obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in them all the days of your life? Again, I think questions that we can ask ourselves every single day. As we remember as we consider as paul put it as we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to a new life in christ and then i want to flip over to page 166 where we have the, the litany for the candidates we'll be praying these here today as well and i wonder if when we come to pray for the candidates in the service, we can pray for them and for these petitions, but also for ourselves. May we also ask for God's help that we may continue in the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in the prayers, straight from Acts 2. May we also pray that we may walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, growing ever in our faith and in heavenly virtues. And we also may join with them in persevering and resisting evil. And Whenever we fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord. These are not just prayers that we need at one point in our lives. They're prayers that we need at all points in our lives. And that we may join with them in proclaiming by word and deed the good news of God and Christ Jesus to a lost and broken world. And that as living members of the body of Christ, we may grow up in every way into him who is the head. And that with them we may look to Jesus, run the race with endurance that's set before us, and at the last receive the unfading crown of glory. And then at last petition, we get a little bit of that future oriented thing. We brought up sort of the time conception here, and there is both a present manifestation, or a, there is a, a past reality of what Christ has done for us, and for most of us, a past reality of when we were baptized as infants, or as a, teenagers, or as an, adults. There is a present reality in terms of how we consider the effects of that uh, in our present lives. Are we turning from the devil and turning towards Christ? Are we living lives that consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ? But there's also a future hope as well, a future orientation to what we've done in baptism and what we continue to renew in our baptismal promises, which is to run with endurance until at last we receive the unfading crown of glory and that's i think maybe one of the um lot of us one of the more challenging things it's a challenging thing of thinking about our lives as christians is that we think that death is not the final answer death is not the final component of our terrestrial existence but that the hope of christ in resurrection is that in fact there is a life after this life and there's a life after life there's a life after death and so, what we experience here, what we do now, those of us, in, we no, none of us knows how close we are to that very last moment when we might receive that unfading crown of glory. But this is a hope that we have in order to, um, I think, in order to have any kind of life whatsoever. I, I'm not quite sure I can understand what human existence would be like without the hope of resurrection. And that, too, is what our baptism shows us that we don't just stay down in the water, but we come up. And if we've been buried with Christ in a death like his, surely we will be raised with Christ in a resurrection like his. But that one, that's, we haven't quite appropriated that yet. We're, we're trying to live in the light of that truth, but none of us actually experiences that in its totality until we've breathed our last. And Christ returns to resurrect us and all others into new bodies and a new life, showing us and, and vindicating the, the faith that we have had throughout our existence here on earth. And so rightfully we pray for this, because this is yet, yet yet to happen, you know, this is yet to come. We still must run the race with endurance in order to receive that crown, unfading crown of glory, uh, at the last. Something else to consider on a daily basis as we meditate on what our baptism means for us, uh, for our salvation, for the new life that we're trying to lead. I want to pause here and take any questions or other thoughts that you have. I need to stop at 1010 so I can talk with the baptismal candidates. Well, they're sponsors, I'll talk with the candidates too, but they will probably not less have any answers since you know, they won't have to walk around very much. But um, yeah, what, 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 you, what are your thoughts on, on this or questions?
1: Yeah, Bruce? The rich, multivalent symbol of water. Yeah. You know, in ancient Middle Eastern conception of the universe, which the Bible is thoroughly immersed in, uh, water is both chaos and death and life. I think this comes from living in a desert river culture that you need the river to flood and it wipes out everything, but then you have years of fertility given by the water after that. So a totally. really rich, complex symbol that uh, we, we now apply to, to baptism. Yeah. And uh, we see the continuity of that in so, like the Jewish mikveh ritual, which uh, David Kletzing, who substituted here once, is written beautifully on, mm. showing that whole, that continuity where baptism came from. Mm-hmm. And again, taps into that rich image of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a new exodus, a theme that gets made really prominent. Gospels, mm-hmm. So just so much like rolling over itself yeah. there in, in every single baptism ceremony. And again, I'm seeing so much. This is also consonant with Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom, too. And uh, the kingdom is is here, but is not yet. And just as Jesus' resurrection is the first fruit, so we're in some ways we try to imitate him in being the first fruits of the, the coming
0: kingdom. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thanks for that, Bruce. And yeah, I think on that, on that first point, I think it's one of those, it seems to resonate with one of these other things that modern life has like, uh, I don't know, taken away from us. Like in in the convenience of getting water, we don't think about some of the multi-layered, multifaceted faceted uh, engagements that we might have with uh, with water. You know, we just turn on the tap and it's just like right there you know and I don't know my pipes are bringing it from Lake Michigan or something like that and it's like super easy you know but what if you know think about the situation where you've got to like trudge you know however long you know hundreds of yards miles whatnot to like get water that you have then got to bring back to you you know you're engaging with that or you, you got the, the, the wadi there the dry river bed like as you point the, in the desert that is like you know, you're playing there one day and the next day it's like a completely you know it's a death trap because it's just like rolling and, and raging um you know, we don't have much of that in our normal existence. When I was in California, we our, our house actually was right by, well, we just called it a wash. It's like a concrete river, which is what you have in Los Angeles, you know? And it, and it just runs dry like all the time because hardly ever rains. But on those rare occasions when it rains, you know, it's just like, it's just a, a, a roaring, you know, concrete slip and slide, you know, crazy thing. And there's just like, a, it was just like a chain link fence on the side of our yard right there. And, you know, I would kind of look over there and be like, man, if I fell in, like, that's it. Like, I am, like, you know, all of a sudden in the Pacific Ocean (laughs) or something like that. And there's, like, a threateningness to this water. And yet, of course, it's it's threatening. It it could be giving us death. But yet, when it rains there in California, you know, this is – this is causing all kinds of greenery to come up here, and we experience this as well here too. You know, we've got our most of our lawns. I have like a, you know a foot of water on them all winter long, and it's kind of a hassle and whatnot. And then come uh, come May, and then we have all these this this life, this new life that comes out of like this blanket of, I won't call snow a blanket of death, but it's kind of like that a little bit there. It's this pall that sort of like you know falls over the entire um, the entire region, but then it brings forth new life. You know, so. I think these are these little like hooks with like what water is kind of help us to see this dynamic, this like rhythm of like death and, and new life that is part of uh, our daily experience of what Christianity is all about. Yeah, thanks Mark:
1: So the conception in Romans that Paul gives us talks a lot about baptism as a symbol of you know, kind of Christ's death or like our participation in that. Um, that seems to be the symbolic equation that's being set up. So, in light of that, how do we think about Jesus' actual baptism? What does that symbolize? What's yeah. happening there?
0: Yeah, great, cool. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of. I mean, uh, I think there's multi layers and multiple levels at which we can think about what baptism is and and what it does. I was kind of focusing on like the death and life sort of thing there, but I mentioned also like the cleanliness, like the cleanse from sin. Where I think our baptism lines up with what's going on in Christ is there is, a, is a, a, a sealing with the Holy Spirit, a filling with the Holy Spirit. And I think that's kind of, as part of liturgy too, you are, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism, marked as Christ's own forever. When Christ was baptized, he was anointed, he was sealed, he was like ratified by God as the Messiah, as the sent one here. And the Holy Spirit came upon him fresh, showing that you know, this was the one who um, was, was called to be the Savior of, of the world. I think, in some ways, too, when we have our own baptism and we renew our baptism, we need to keep in mind that Holy Spirit-saturated component of the rite as well. That the Holy Spirit has come upon us, and the baptism, you know, uh, our baptism shows forth that um, uh, that dynamic also. It's kind of off the cuff. Yeah, one more, and then I've got to run. Sorry. Yeah. Um, It's not so much a question. Yeah, it's not so much a question as an observation. Sure. Um, I like the transcendent quality of water, mm. a lot of that time period, you know, they were speaking all different languages, Hebrew, Arimathea, uh, Latin. Um, and even though we're meditating on the words of the prayer, mm. it seems like that is a connective moment mm. that symbolism of the water washing over and, and renewing, um, the life Uh, it just I I think anybody could understand it despite their language or yeah yeah I think that's great I think that's great it's not it's not it's not just a cognitive linguistic act it's a very it's a very physical act using physical means as we talked about before which can be communicative even in its own uh, in its own right no pun intended All right, thanks very much everybody. I've got to run and uh, stick around for the service.